Amen. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. Come rest on your people and instruct us, guide us, encourage us. Take over the controls of our life that we tend to white knuckle. Show us the freedom contained within listening to you and obeying you and following you. Heavenly Father, the, what John writes in chapter 3 that we've already studied is going to ring loud and true today. See what great love God has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are because of that declaration, because of that truth, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the grace that you've given us and the faith that you've given us, we are called children of God and therefore we are no longer a slave to fear as we're going to study today. So Father, would you prepare our minds, would you prepare our hearts, our souls to receive what your spirit has to say to each one of us today. Your word is living and breathing and active as it's ever been. And you have a word for every single one of us today. So be the subject and object of our worship as we open up your word and study it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Michael Dolan. Thank you, sir. One of my biggest fears to let you into my life is that I will forget to turn off this battery pack in my pocket and you will hear me singing. <laughs> but Jim has all the power and authority and he controls this thing on and off. But Jim, don't take this the wrong way, but I still turn this off because I don't want you embarrassing me like that, man. I can't, I can't sing like they can. Well, good morning, Trinity. How are we doing? My name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors. For anybody I haven't met yet, a special welcome to you. And before we get started, I don't often speak for the other pastors and staff and sort of Trinity as a whole, but I will now in thanking everybody for your prayers and your text messages of encouragement and your email, emails and the meals you prepared for us uh, throughout the month of October, which was Pastor Appreciation Month. It meant the world uh, to us. Thank you so much. Almost to a person, October was a really difficult month for us, and I know for several of you as well. And so uh, thank you for lifting us up um, last month. It, it was really, really encouraging. I've kept everything that was sent to me, and I've, I've gone back to them over and over again. So thank you. We continue today through our sermon series uh, in First John, which is titled Beloved, uh, which pays close attention to God's love for us and our love for others. And with that in mind, what we're going to look at today, our scripture for today, which is 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21, this is the largest continuous theme of John's letter. And these verses specifically speak to God's love for us and our love for others. And in, in these verses, I promise we're going to find incredible encouragement. We're going to find absolute clarity. We're going to see the majesty and the splendor 
of the gospel, and we will be challenged to grow. And we're also going to tap into a wellspring of freedom. We will stand in agreement with the Beatles that all you need is love, and we will finally answer Tina Turner's burning question, what's love got to do with it? (laughs) But I promise we will rescue the definition of love from culture back from those who have misused it and perhaps never understood it in the first place. Again, our text for today is 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. This is found on page 988 of the Blue Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, that is yours to keep. Uh, Our only recommendation is that you read it. But we will be on page 988 today. But before we get there, second service pop quiz. The last time I preached, I said that you can tell the author's intent of a letter or writing through the what of their words, the repetition, the repetition of their words. In these 15 verses that we're going to study today, John uses us slash we, in other words, he refers to believers more than 20, more than 30 times, I'm sorry, I think it's 31 times in these 15 verses. The word love appears more than 25 times and God more than 20 times. And so believers love God is pretty much literally what this passage is about. And even if you reverse it, it still holds true. God God loves believers. There's no Trojan horse here. There's an explicit message that John has for us about our love for God, God's love for us, and our love for one another. So let's dig in. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, John writes, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, these are both glorious and and heavy words. And so we need you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to move them from our head to our heart, that we would receive the love you have for us, that we would live out that love, that your kingdom would advance to the glory and honor of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, now I normally have three points to make, but today, against my better judgment, I have five. But don't worry, I carbo-loaded last night, so I won't cramp up halfway through. But in this scripture, what I want us to see, five things. The appeal, the author, the absence, the assurance, and the application. Like you knew I was going to make them all start with an A. Let's start with point number one, the appeal. John begins the longest section of his letter with agapatoi agapamen, which literally translates, those who are loved, let us love. And with those two words, we are in the deep end of the pool. This is the appeal of John the aged apostle writing to young believers. This is his exhortation, his encouragement, his challenge. And how does he begin what is the most challenging part of his letter? With love. And I couldn't help but notice that this reinforces that the Holy Spirit, the divine author of John's letter, cares not only about what we do, but how we do it. In a, in a world full of lies, right, like dripping with untruth, I know so often that I can be like Peter in the garden, running out with my sword of truth drawn, ready to cut people's ears off in defense of Jesus. But we are called to put people's ears back on, not cut them off like Peter. Yes, we are to be about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The same with one another. We are called and we must be people willing to tell one another hard truths when we need gospel correction and recalibration to Christ. But how are we to speak the truth? In love. With ourselves. Truth with our family, truth with our co-workers and our friends, truth with our brothers and sisters, truth. Online, offline, social media, truth, but always in love. And John literally models that here. And in doing so, he appeals not just to the what of love, but the way of love. But make no mistake He appeals to the what of love. Both of these words, these two Greek words, find their root in the Greek word agape. The Greeks had four primary words for love. Agape, phileo, storge, and eros. And let me leave the first one for last. Phileo, as many of us know, is brotherly love. And of course, the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. 
Storge describes the love of a family unit. Eros, where we get our word erotic from, this literally translates to a physical attraction or instinct. Now, isn't it interesting that culture reverses the order? Eros is most important, right? Eros tops the list. We just read God is love. Culture will say, love is God. But no, the first and most important is agape, the uncorrupted, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. This love is costly. This love is independent of the worthiness of the object. This love is intentional, an active choice of the will. This is not a passive love, but one that engages to seek the benefit of another. I promise you, you will not find agape love on any Hallmark card this Valentine's Day. And guess which word for love is the only word that John uses here in his letter? Agape. This is not a cheap love. This is not a self-serving love. This is not a love overruled and overrun by emotions. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. Many of us know this almost by heart. He writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Trinity, we have to understand this. We have to understand the appeal of John here. It is plain. As a people loved by and with agape love, we are called to do the same. Those who are loved, that is identity language, let us love. I mean, those verses from 1 Corinthians 13, they're like the coffee cup, hallmark, like card verses, right? We're like, ah, oh, love. Those should horrify us. Why? Because you may be gifted to speak with the tongue of angels, but if you do not have this love, you're just making noise. If you can see into the future, if you can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, if you're the smartest person in the room, you might have the faith that can move mountains. But if you do not have this love, God says, you are nothing. We tend to think that this love just sort of rounds out our spiritual nature. Like, oh, I'm pretty much 95% of the way there. If I just kick in some love, I'll basically be like Jesus himself. But no. If love is not at the epicenter of who we are and what we do, we are nothing. Those are not my words. I'm under this like you are. Now let me clarify with all biblical authority two very important points. Love never, ever, ever affirms sin. Into sin, we have an obligation to speak truth in love that the one in sin repents and is restored and set free from it. And love never, ever, ever enables sin. 
a relationship grounded in submission to abusive behavior is not biblical. You are not called to tolerate, to put up with, or to just deal with abusive behavior, period. If you need help or you need healing, say the word. Amen? All right, back to John. We're like two words into his letter, so I, I got some work to do here. All right, he makes his appeal for us as a people loved by and with this agape love to love one another with this highest love possible, this highest ethic. And if he just left it there, every single one of us would be in big trouble because even the way that he writes this in the original Greek is in the present tense, meaning that every second of every day, we are to love one another in this way. Now listen, you're not that good, and I'm not that lovable. (laughs) And so how is this even possible? Well, thank God, pun intended, for point number two, the author. Verses 8b through 12, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, there's that word again, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected, made complete, made whole in us. And so how do we love others this way? God. Why do we love others this way? God. God is love. It's not just something he does. It's who he is. Agape love literally describes the very nature of God forever existing in the loving fellowship and relationship of the Trinity. Look again at 1 Corinthians 13. Paul continues on. Love is patient. Right? One look at me and you know God is patient. <laughs> Scripture says God is not slow regarding his promise as some would regard slow. But he is patient with us, not wishing, not wishing or wanting that any would perish. Love is kind. The word there in the Greek is the same word they would use to describe a war horse. So powerful that it could kill you like that. But it's power under complete control. Jesus, anyone? Love doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. It is not self-seeking. God is love. And remember, this agape love is not some cheap, passive love. Back to our text. Look at verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Did God sit idly by as his creation drowned in sin? No. He moved to action and sent his son into this world. 
Did God do this because we cleaned up our act and we got right and got our act together and pursued him? No. It's not that we loved God, but that while we were still enemies, God sent his son to die for us. Was this some cheap form of love? No, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word carries with it both the taking away of sin and the satisfaction of God's wrath. Not a popular topic these days. The wrath that should have and rightly fallen on you and me for our rebellion to God was placed on Jesus. God paid the highest price possible to save you from him. God is love. He is the source. His love is universal in scope, self-sacrificial in character, eternal in its duration, relentless in its pursuit, complete in its care, constant in its intensity, infinite in its depth, unwavering in its commitment, and unconditional in its application. But wait, wait, there's more. And I, I so needed to hear this this week, and I know a few of you really need to hear this because many of us struggle because we know us, right? I know me. And if I'm honest, I am, I would say I'm rarely lo lovable. Somewhere my wife just, amen, like she doesn't even know why, but, <laughs> but I'm telling you, this is where the gospel rubber meets the road. If God could only love the lovable, there is no good news. I promise there's no good news. Why does God love you? And why does God love me? Because he does. Period. Any other answer makes God's love conditional and therefore unbiblical. Think about it. If God loved me because I read my Bible, or I gave to the poor, or I went to church, or I did good deeds, that would subject God's actions to mine, and God is subject, subjected to no one and nothing. The highest and best answer I can give my wife when she asks me, why do you love me, is not her beauty or her laugh or her green eyes. The best answer I can give her is because I do, because everything else can go away. But guess what? I still love her. Biblical love is an act of the will that constantly seeks the best for its object, even to the expense of the self. It is accompanied by emotion, but not led by it. If you sit here today, and you think you've done so much wrong in your life, there's just no way God could love you. Relax. Stop giving yourself so much credit. Like, you're not that good of a sinner. <laughs> and repent and turn to Jesus and receive the outpouring of the love of God. And if you cannot relate to a loving father because of your own experience, gaze at the cross behind me. Is it not an eternal reminder of the author of love who wrote himself into the story to track you down and save you?
Jesus is how God loves us. But his nature, his very nature is why. Now, I would have loved to have glossed over point number three. But the beauty of expository preaching is you have to deal with what the text gives you. You can't like bunny hop over what you don't like. And so we have John's appeal. We have the author of love. But John is also careful to warn against point number three, which is the absence of love. And for this, I need to piece together a couple verses from this section because he makes this point in a couple places. First in verse 8a, anyone who does not love does not know God. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now let me grab a third verse from this section that kind of ties it all together and we can clear up something that is a little confusing in verse 12. So verse 12, John writes, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Again, made whole and complete in us. So hang with me here for a second. With these three verses, what John is saying is that because of God's divinity, no one has ever seen his pure fullness. But since God's nature is love, When we love one another, God's fullness is on display and we know that God lives within us, right? No one has ever seen the wind, only the manifestation of it, the feel of the air, the sound through the trees, the leaves moving. However, if the presence of agape love for one another indicates the presence of of God's Holy Spirit, what must the absence mean? Anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who says, I love God, but hates his brother is a liar. And remember, the biblical definition of hate, the word miso, does not carry with it the same emotional weight that we have on it in our English language. It is much simpler. It's just an indifference. It just means not to care. So anyone who says that they love God, but that love for God is not manifested in love for their brother or sister, they do not know God. John is calling for our life to match our lips for our conduct to match our confession and our behavior to match our beliefs. Look, we are all being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And this side of heaven, no one is going to love perfectly as Jesus did. So please do not feel condemned by this, for there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. But please do feel cautioned by it. Please do feel convicted by it. It, It's here for a reason. If you're carrying grudges, if you're looking down on others, if you find yourself selfish with what the Lord has given you, ignoring the needs of your brothers and sisters, that is typically a very good indication that in that area or situation, you have not fully received the love 
that God has for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. There is freedom on the other side of this. Freedom in forgiveness. Freedom from bitterness. Freedom from being a slave to money and possessions and stuff. Look, here's a, here's a visual that helped me that I wanted to share with you guys. As the, as the spokes on the wheel get closer to the center, notice how they get closer to one another. So too with us. As we get closer to Jesus, as the epicenter of our life, by definition, we should be closer to one another. All right, so we have this beautiful appeal from John, covered in love, about love. We see that God himself is the author of this great agape love, and we are cautioned against professing one thing and practicing another. And so let's look at point number four, the assurance. Now, verses 13 through 18, they have a little bit different feel to them. They read a little bit differently, at least in my opinion, than the others, even though they're part of the same section. John focuses now on knowing and seeing and testifying and believing. He wants us to be confident and wants us to know that our assurance stems from this love of God. Our assurance of our very salvation stems from this love of God. He writes this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he, this God, has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Now there is this beautiful Trinitarian progression, if I can call it that, that I just want to make really plain for us. In verse 13, John talks about the experiential. We know God lives in us and we live in him because he gave us his Holy Spirit. That is the experience in your life of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, epistemology, which just comes back to how you know. He writes, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then he talks about doctrinal. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Why does he give us this? Why does this appear in this section about God's love? Because, look, there are, there's no shortage of false teachers in the world today. There is no shortage of God-hating college professors in the world today, or God-hating music, or movies, or books. We ourselves have our own doubts when it seems as though our prayers are just smashing up against the ceiling and going no further. The Holy Spirit of God himself, using the hand and quill of John the Apostle, wants us to know the assurance of our salvation. Because without this section, we would be tempted to say, this is how I earn God's salvation. That's why he wants us to be assured of it. Remember repetition. 
In this entire letter of 1 John, the most used word by John is love, coming in at 35 times. A close second, coming in at 33 times, is the word know. He wants us to know. In our fallen state, you do not know God. You do not have the Holy Spirit. You do not confess Jesus as Lord. We do not because we cannot. If you believe and that manifests itself in this agape love, then I assure you, again, with full biblical authority, that is not your own doing. That is the gift of God through grace. And your name is written in the book of life, period, new paragraph. And this assurance of salvation that John gives us via the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, it flows naturally to verses 17 and 18 that we have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence and not fear, because fear has to do with punishment. But this perfect agape love of God in us and through us abolishes, that's the word used, abolishes the fear of punishment. Paul Writing to the Romans, he sheds a beautiful light on this when he writes that, this is uh, uh, chapter uh, 8, he writes that we were not given a, sp a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we were given the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now there is a distinctly different relationship between a slave and a master and a child of God and their perfect heavenly father. Amen? And so this perfect love of God abolishes fear. All right, let's land the plane with our last point, the application. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love God his brother. That word commandment in the Greek translates to commandment. Yeah, but <clears throat> like John is super old here when he's writing this, and so he's probably cranky. And so like, I'm sure he doesn't mean it. I give you the words of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as we want to, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus gave that commandment literally minutes after washing the feet of Judas Iscariot and 24 hours before going to the cross. As I have loved you. Remember, brothers and sisters, what you like cannot dictate who you love. This agape love is not easy. But what the Lord calls us to, he equips us for. Let me leave you with these words from a hundred-year-old hymn. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling, all I do and say. 
May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God, my Father, rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort the sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea, him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Would your Holy Spirit move these words from our mind into our heart? May we see the way that John loves his readers, even as he writes to them about love. May we not just believe that God is the author of love, but would we receive that truth and live out that truth? Father, in those moments when we, when we do not stack up, when we do not measure up, when we do not fulfill this commandment, your word says that when we confess our sin to you, you are good and right to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, would we see the blessed assurance we have in the seal of the Holy Spirit on our hearts? Would that translate and manifest in this agape love, knowing that we can never outspend it? We can never love this world more than you love us. And Father, would we obey your commands? Would we be a people marked by doing what you say, knowing that we don't do that to earn your love, but because we've already received it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Diakonia, you can come on down as we come to the Lord's table now. This is a remembrance of exactly what we read about that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that in this God's love was made manifest, that he sent his son to be the, the propitiation for our sins. Now, you do not have to be a member of this church to partake of the elements. We just ask that your faith is sincere. Listen, this doesn't save you. This is the remembrance of the one who does. If you have not given your life in faith and trust to Jesus Christ, this is a, a, a cracker and some juice. Don't play the religious game. But before we do this, Scripture says to approach the table with a clean heart. So let me just give a second, a, a few moments of silence where you can talk to and hear from God. Maybe there's something you need to confess. Again, confession is a gift from God. And His Word says... When we bring it to him, he is good and right because of the shed blood of Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So bring it to him. Don't carry that weight. Bring it to him. But let's just take a few moments now that we can do just that.
Heavenly Father, we hear um, beautiful words such as what John wrote, but they can also be heavy words, heavy for people who, um, who have not had a father figure as you are, and that is difficult to then relate to you as the God of love. Father, in those places and spaces, would you provide healing for people and continue to demonstrate to them your comfort and your care and compassion, that you are the all-loving, perfect Father. And Father, for us as we go forward, would we continually be reminded that you don't, you don't call us to go somewhere you haven't already gone and that your cross is the continuing, enduring demonstration and reminder for us of the love that you have for us, that you stopped at nothing to give us a way back to you and that we would live through that into a world that so desperately needs to know your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, parents, if your kids uh, are in here, yeah, you can send them, send them in, Bill. Uh, as they come in, we don't make the